What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 15. Episode 33. This is Writing Excuses, the long, dark second act of the soul. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Victoria. I'm Dan. And I'm Howard. And Howard named this episode, if you couldn't tell. Um, Second Acts. Let's talk about Second Acts. We got a lot of questions about how to make the middles of your story interesting. Um, One question is, I'm pantsing my SF book and started with a vague, wouldn't it be cool idea to begin with, and went from there. I quite like how the characters are progressing, but I'm basically stuck in the second act. The best advice that I've got for pantsers, and and it's, it's in two parts, uh, the first part is when you are stuck like this, uh, make something happen. Blow something up, burn something down. Uh, a couple of people get in a fight. You just uh, make something happen. And the second is admit to yourself that this is going to need to be rewritten, that you may need to chop off the front. You may need to rewrite the ending. You may need to prune bits out of the middle. But for me, uh, when I've pantsed, getting unstuck was more important than uh, than sitting down and outlining the end. And and on several occasions, that exercise of getting unstuck, I'm going to make something really exciting happen, reinvigorated me, and I realized, oh, oh, that's right. Oh, that's what I wanted to to do, and and off I go. And the thing in about half the cases, didn't end up exploding. I did something else. So 
one of the things that made me change the way I think about second acts was I was reading a screenwriting book and it was talking about the, you know, the beginning, the middle and the end of the story. And, and in talking about the second act, it said, this is the fun part where most of the scenes in the trailer come from. And I thought, I've never thought of it that way. It's, it, this is the part where the characters have entered a new situation or they've gained some new powers. They're doing something new and they're playing with all of those new things. And so now I try to put that into my second act and say, this isn't just the part you slog through to get to the end. This is where you get to play with all your fun toys and build the fun scenes that are going to end up in the trailer. I mean, the hard part is, right, the first act, you get to introduce all your toys. The third act, you get to make them blow up. You know, Mm -hmm. you get to put them where they're going to land. And in the second act, somehow you have to get between those two points. I mean, I fully admit I am not a pantser, but even before my extreme outlining days where I now like, like find a much joy in execution, I would try and give myself what I used to call the connect the dots theory, Mm -hmm. which I would try and make between three and six points in my story. Even if I didn't know where the story was going or how I was going to get between those two points, even having three meant that I had something that I was moving toward. And I could say, okay, here I am in this story and I have this one spot, one thing I know I want to have happen before the end and I'm moving toward it. What's something that could happen between here and there? And I figure out another dot. Now I've got half the distance between and I go, what's something that could happen? You're essentially playing a choose your own adventure game. I had a friend who used to say, how do you make it worse? Basically, like she wrote a zombie novel and the zombies chase these two kids up a tree and they're up the tree and it seems like it's pretty bad. And the question is, how do you make it worse? And she set the tree on fire, right? Like it's the Mm -hmm. it's that moment. And sometimes it is it is just finding ways to play. But I do think this is the hard part. It can't just be play because you also need to progress the story. And nothing is more frustrating than when you get to a really interesting book that has an amazing first act, you get to the second act and all of a sudden they're in the fire swamp, right? They're just like wandering through it without any real purpose except to kill time but, and maybe get like gain assets and like toys and things that they're going to need to fight the final battles. So let's look at uh, Star Wars. And I'm old enough that when I say Star Wars, I mean episode four, okay? Act two is the Death Star. And the things that have to happen narratively are we need to rescue the princess and we need to lose our mentor. And both of those are opportunities for big set pieces. We lose the mentor and it's not just well, we're going to, you know, they die in the fire swamp. It's a lightsaber battle. That's the only lightsaber battle we get in that movie. And rescuing the princess, there's this whole gun chase, and then they get thrown into a pit with a monster that tries to eat them, and then they drown and all these things. And so knowing what you have to do and then finding the most exciting way of accomplishing that is kind of what the second act is for. I think um, readers slash viewers are really sensitive to the second act thing without knowing it. Um, This is one of these things that just by consuming media you pick up on. And um, I've noticed that a lot of the movies that people love and uh, the sequels that people love are all ones that are surprisingly good in the second act. Right, Star Wars is a great example, but even you know the bet when people say one of the best sequels of all time, it's always the second movie that you expect to be bad. Because the first one was good, and we've been trained that the middle's the weakest. Yeah. And yet, the best, um, you know, the best Star Wars movie, a lot of people say is the second one. The best Godfather movie, the second one. The best Toy Story movie, the second one. And I think this is partially because people are expecting it to be bad, and it's good. And those expectations are then subverted. If you can do a good second act in your story, um, I think that that just will make the readers unconsciously say, wow, this is fantastic. I don't expect this to be the most exciting part, and it is. 
I mean, and this is one of the reasons we discussed in a previous episode that I was on where we discussed, I discussed uh, treating my chapters and scenes like episodes. And I think it's in part to help me avoid the lull of the second act by creating miniature arcs within the story that bring their own satisfaction and then stitch together into something. So maybe part of it, and we can talk about this more later, is I pretend there is no second act. I don't break it into three. I find that very, very stressful. I work forward from the beginning and backwards from the end, and I populate it with escalating arcs because I think we put so much pressure on the second act that it becomes a place of dread. And the middle of a book is already a place of dread because it's when you're most likely to quit writing it. It's when the shiny new idea sweeps in, it's when you're full of distraction and you're beginning to get bored because everything's becoming familiar and you have to begin delivering on promises that you made in the first act. It's a very treacherous place to be. And so I do think maybe also like take some of the pressure away of thinking of it as the 2A and 2B, of thinking of it as this central part of your narrative, which has to hold the whole roof up and start to look at those exciting episodes like in Star Wars, where there are things which need to be accomplished and there's a very exciting way to do those things. Um, something you said earlier, uh, Victoria, about uh, you know the, the first act is where we're introducing all the things and that's fun and that's shiny. Um, and the last act is, you know, where we're blowing them up or where they're blowing each other up. Um, for me, if I don't break things into three acts, I will continue to introduce things through act two. And that breaks the story because it just, it, it bloats in bad ways. Um, and so it's useful for me to think about, uh, think about it as if we're describing the items in a room during act one, act two we change the lighting in the room, and now everything looks different. It's the same thing. We're just now seeing them all in a different light, and we're tripping over them, and it's now whatever. And then Act 3, the house is on fire. I don't know. It's a dumb metaphor. <laughs> but the, the idea here is that the point at which you stop introducing things uh, structurally kind of defines the second act. Uh, and so that's a point for you to create these trailer moments, like Dan was saying, yeah. by by changing the lighting, by changing the environment, changing the context. And that'll that'll make it a lot more exciting, I think, than just a fire swamp. Well, and one of the reasons I think people get so intimidated by Act 2 is because Act 1 sets stuff up. Act 2, Act 3 resolves it. What am I doing? I'm treading water for half my book. Um, so one of the things that I try to do is make sure the second act is filled with try-fail cycles. You know, it's not that my characters know they have to wait to a certain point before they can end the story. They spend all of second act trying mm -hmm. to end the story. And it should always be upping the stakes and escalating. Mm -hmm. um, your sense of progress for that middle is that things are getting worse or the stakes are getting bigger and bigger. I like to give, um, so obviously re reference the fire swamp. The Princess Bride is one of my favorite examples of an archetypal narrative that follows this very, very well. You meet your players by the end of Act 1. They spend Act 2 with Wesley and the princess trying to flee, being continuously failed, being abducted, being separated, trying to reassemble. We reassemble the teams by the end of Act 2, and then in Act 3, we have the fighting and the, the war and the conclusion. It's a beautifully simple story, but it's a very satisfying story across all three acts. And it starts, one of the other things that Act 2 gets to do is introduce, um, the foreshadowing moments, the little lessons and pieces of information that we're going to need in that resolution. So in it, I always say it's like, a, it's getting all of your weapons together. It's gathering all of your forces. These are beautiful moments in act two through that trifail cycle to achieve the motifs and the little things which are going to come back around in act three. Hey writers, are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. 
A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users in 25 languages offered. They use an immersive technique which leads to fast language acquisition. It's an intuitive process that helps you really learn to speak, listen, and most of all think in the language you're trying to learn. They also feature true accent speech recognition technology that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a voice coach in your home. Learn at home or on the go with a desktop and mobile app that let you download and access lessons even when you're offline. And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership gives you access to all 25 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and, of course, Korean. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Let's go ahead and stop for our book of the week. You actually, Dan, have a book you were talking about, How Great the Second Act Is. Yeah, uh, Wintersmith by Terry Pratchett, which I talked about a while ago. Tiffany Aching is my favorite Terry Pratchett series by a mile. And uh, Wintersmith is an interesting one to bring up in a structural episode because it has a very weird structure. Uh, But its second act is its strongest one by far. Uh, And its second act is basically Tiffany Aching is apprenticed to an older witch named Miss Treason. And Miss Treason is very weird, and she's very dark, and she's very spooky. And uh, it's it's very slice of lifey. We know from the prologue that there's going to be this big evil problem with the Wintersmith. And the third act, we deal with the Wintersmith. And in the middle, it's just Tiffany learning how to be a witch. Uh, and she will go through kind of the daily life, and she will learn various lessons. And it is it's so, it's so powerfully done because it is framed with you know, her arriving there, and then it ends with Miss Treason. Spoiler warning, she dies, um, and we get her funeral. And we know she dies chapters before she does because she's a witch, so she knows everything. But uh, the way that it is built, I think, is a really fantastic example of how to do a powerful second act. Um, so let me ask about this along these second act ideas. Um, I feel like it can get frustrating for a reader in that second act uh, because it feels like you're going nowhere, as we've mentioned. But also the heroes, the protagonists, are often failing over and over again. How do you keep a sense of momentum when you're failing over and over again? And the reader knows in the back of their head, because they have the page count, that they can't succeed here. So how do you, how do you work with that as authors? 
I like to break it up. I like to break up the literal team. I often write ensemble casts. It's one of my favorite times where they get separated and they're fighting their way not only toward a goal, but back towards each other. Like to put them in peril. I like it because you know with so much book left that they're going to find a way through, that there's going to be things that happen. And then the question becomes how? And I think that there is an inherent tension in the how of something, in the understanding that there's a lot of book left. What feels what like it might be climactic moment is almost like a tease And then it becomes about like, how are they going to pull this off? Or how are they going to achieve this goal? And I think we can sometimes underestimate the inherent tension of how. Uh, So so the the book and movie Crazy Rich Asians does something very cool in its second act. I think one of the ways to do what you're talking about is to expand the scope. Use the second act to expand the scope of what we're looking at. The problem itself gets larger or it starts to involve more characters. Crazy Rich Asians does this with the cousin Astrid. A lot of the plot focuses around the main character trying to fit in better with the very Asian sensibilities of her fiancé's family. And she doesn't have any allies. And so second act throws Astrid at her, the cousin, who A, becomes a powerful ally, but B, is rejecting a lot of the very Asian attitudes and becoming much more independent and much more Western in the way that she views her own family And so it's exploring the same themes from a different direction and including more characters, but all in a way that eventually is going to give the main character the tools she needs in the third act. I think that the try-fail cycle model, Dan, that, uh, or yeah, Dan, it was you who described the try-fail cycle, coupled with the the idea of scenes from the trailers. Um, Yes, the viewer, I mean, I remember my son we were watching a movie and I asked him, I just turned and says, do you think their plan's going to work? And he was 10. And he says, if their plan works, we don't have a whole movie. <laughs> I was so proud. I was so proud. I, I, I wept in that moment and it had nothing to do with the film. Um, the, but the reader knows that the plan isn't going to, going to succeed because they can tell how far through the book we are. They can tell through the page count. Um, and so the try-fail cycle has to give us has to give us one of these trailer moments, has to give us some awesome, and we should come out with it not with a sense of, oh, that didn't work, but with a sense of, huh, that went terribly, but now I have a machine gun, ho, ho, ho. Yeah. Um, and and then we're cheering during the second act. And Well, and I always also like the um, the structure that in that second act, you try something, you succeed, and then you realize- You've um, made it worse. You've made it worse. Uh, this happens in uh, the the story structure, was it the, the seven point, the nine point? Seven point. Um, the seven point that, uh, that Dan really likes. Um, when I was reading about that once, they, there's this broadening of goals during the, um, the second act where you realize the thing that you wanted, even if you achieve it, is not the thing you wanted all along. And suddenly you realize, oh, by achieving this thing, we we are in much bigger trouble to reference Die Hard again. Oh, the FBI is here. Everything's okay. Oh, crap, that was part of the plan. Um, those sorts of moments are really great. Yeah, I am. I agree. I think that it's also, we when we talk about tri-fail cycle, I think there's an erroneous visual that happens of like a hamster wheel. And that's not what it is at all because when you get forward and you realize something's wrong and when you fall backwards, you gain some advantage. So there's always something happening which is giving you kind of a winding path towards your climax. Yeah, well, and I'm, I'm glad that you brought up the, the kind of the character change that can happen in second act because sometimes that is, I'm about to get what I want and realize that'll make everything worse. But just as often it can be, second act is where they change their attitude. They realize the goal they've been pursuing is actually 
bad and they decide to pursue a different one. And that is going to change the focus of the rest of the story. Can I say one last thing before we run out of time? I also just, I'm going to be the devil's advocate here of, I don't think about these things when I'm writing. Like we're articulating (laughs) things in a way that I do not sit down and think, oh, I'm here to the second act. I better think about the way that my character is going to evolve. And I think part of that is like, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, there is an intuitive level here. And I think it can be really like overwhelming when it becomes a codified level. Like, yes, these are things which you should be able to analyze perhaps in the revision cycle or if you get stuck. Mm -hmm. But I think it's also okay if you're operating on a draft level in an intuitive way and you don't feel like you're stopping and checking your map for these kinds of things every step. Yeah, that's really great to bring up. Um, I can't be reinforced too much. The idea that a lot of what we do, we're doing by instinct. The more I've written, the more I'm conscious of these things during outlining and revision. I still, when I'm actually writing, am not focused on this nearly as much um, as it might sound that we are. Um, But when I wrote my early books, I wasn't focused on it at all. I was just learning how to write a story. And some of those books got published, and people loved them, um, even though I wasn't as conscious about it. It's Mm -hmm. talking about it's teaching it, really, that forces you to analyze these things and look at what you're doing. Well, and I just refer to it as developing an internal story monster, which is like a tiny Jim Henson-esque monster that lives in your chest and feeds on narrative. And the more that you watch and the more that you read and the more that you write, the more you teach that internal demon figure what works and what doesn't. So you've and the given more... me a Muppet chest burst. Exactly, right? exactly. Thank you. Thank you for that visual. <laughs> Thank you. All right. We are out of time. Um, Howard, do you have some homework for us? I, I do. And I just turned the page from it, which was uh, very silly. For, silly. Ah, there it is. Um, pick your favorite book or movie uh, or favorite entertainment of, of whatever kind and identify where the second act begins where the second act ends. Um, And then with a notebook in hand, make a list of the things that you love about that second act. Um, And now if your favorite thing, the second act is your least favorite part about it, make a list of the things that allowed you to muscle through the second part in order to get get to the ending that you love. Um, But This is homework that involves writing because you're going to take that list of the things that you love and you're going to try to map that onto the second acts where you are stuck. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.